Welcome to another Kingdom Community Church podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Who likes a little bit of meat with their potatoes? Well, tonight the word is kind of like a little bit of meat with your potatoes. Um, the theme is New Covenant Realities and... Uh, how many people know that covenant is an important word, right? Unfortunately, in the, in the Bible, um, we don't always understand what we're reading and we've got to unpack things. And so a lot of people, particularly those who've been brought up churched, um, they have concepts, but their concepts sometimes are wrong because maybe a Sunday school teacher taught them something and they've hung on to it or their dad or their mum or their pastor when they were kids taught them something and and so what often happens is that we have a filter that is like comes across our thinking our grid so that everything that we process about God about the world about ourselves about the church goes through a particular filter and one of the problems that I find in the church right across the world today, particularly it's noticeable because of social media. Um, how many people know that social media kind of highlights certain things that you would not have known if it wasn't available to you? And the World Wide Web opens up the world in such a way that we know, um, we know what other people are thinking in the other, other parts of the world. And uh, what I've noticed, which is disturbing, um, but it's, it's not anything new, as I've read history books, particularly about revival culture and so on, I've noticed that throughout history, whenever someone stands up to present God in a way that is contrary to popular opinion or church culture of that day, regardless of whether it's true or not, it will be looked upon as either false doctrine or it'll be frowned upon, it'll be people will be pointed at as heretics and so on. And a lot of the folk who have walked out the um, supernatural signs and wonders of God, you know, the, some of the greats in, in Pentecostal folklore, if you like, were often frowned upon by the rest of the church because um, they weren't seen to have been walking out um, a doctrine that was everybody else's doctrine. And so what we need to do is come back to some of the core realities of what it is that we're walking through. There are themes in the Bible that start right from the very beginning and flow like a river all the way through the Word of God. And uh, one of those is the, the concept or theme of covenant. And as I was preparing this message, I felt like the Lord gave me a, um, an illustration that if you're familiar with um, YouTube or social media, you've probably seen either this or something like it before, but it highlighted for me the way in which um, we as individuals can have a grid or a filter that shows us something, but what we're seeing isn't necessarily what everybody else sees. And then suddenly something comes across our vision that changes it, just like that. Have a look at this, and, uh, and then I'll come back and, and share what the Lord's put on my heart about this subject. Got these for you. Are they glasses? Yeah. You're kidding. The colorblind ones? No. -uh. Yeah. <laughs> They're so expensive. Put them on. You're kidding. Put them on. <laughs> <laughs> Are you serious? You guys can see this every day. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if you guys understand, but I didn't know. <laughs> the grass look green. <laughs> yeah. It's unreal. Stop making me cry. <laughs> but it's it's color like I don't. Nobody understands how. I'll have to relearn my colors with the glasses. <laughs> yeah, what color do you actually think? This is violet or purple. This is blue. Say this is rose okay. red or pink. Thank you. White and violet on the end. Oh, nice. 
Yeah. <laughs> you like? I can see colors. <laughs> you like? This is unreal. I can't wait till you can see like, I could call red the barn. I know, it's so vibrant. <laughs> I haven't taken them off since. Now you're not gonna wanna stop wearing them. <laughs> I wish you could put them on. I did, but it doesn't look like much different to me. No, the, <laughs> the barn is deliberately red right now. And like bright? Oh yeah, and before it's gray. Really? Yeah. This side, at least. Look at your tie. It's pretty blue. I know. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> this is what you guys see every day. Yeah. Pretty awesome. My skin's actually dark. <laughs> You're not pale. You're kind of tan. <laughs> we won't lift my pant leg up. Do I touch it? The sky. <laughs> Pretty blue. I can fly an airplane with these. Yeah, you can. Now you can get your wife in, you know? <laughs> the barrels are so much different. <laughs> The, these glasses didn't change you, though. You still look just as great. Well, that's good. His hand's shaking. Don't worry. Huh? His hand is shaking. Watch it. <laughs> Are you good? Good. Folks, All good. Folks were good. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? Wow. It just highlights for me that when we get the right grid, or we get the right filter, we see what God wants us to see. The only way we can get the right filter is we take the time to unpack what it is that God has actually done. Covenant is a word that I believe we need to unpack. Covenant is a word that uh, probably isn't used that much these days, but it basically means agreement, doesn't it? It means an agreement between two parties that brings two people together on, a, on mutual ground, usually initiated by at least one of the parties, but then agreed upon by the other, and therefore um, the covenant relationship is formed. In God's um, scheme of things, covenants are not to be broken. God is the initiator of covenants throughout the Bible, and they are not to be broken. Um, we see covenant illustrated, I guess, in God's um, initiation of marriage, where he um, created what is a type and a shadow of a greater relationship. And so when in the, in the marriage covenant, we see a beauty that is in God's heart that two would become one based on a mutual agreement um, as a starting point. And then life flows out of that relationship. And it's not meant to. In God's scheme of things, marriage is not meant to break. And that covenant is not meant to break. And unfortunately, in modern society, um, we see a lot of marriage break. And uh, I've been through it, Sheikh's been through it, and uh, it's heart-wrenching. It's, it's hard. However... God never intended it to be that way. God always intended for covenant to be something that is entered into as a serious um, agreement between two parties. And if we understand covenant and understand and we read through Scripture and we see where covenant falls and the value that God places on covenant, then as we trace it from the beginning through to now, we'll get an understanding. This is what I want to do. I just want to unpack a couple of things for us. First of all, you need to understand that there are two types of covenant. There's a conditional covenant, which is known, I guess, as a covenant of works. So it's a covenant where there's God has made a covenant with man, 
and it's placed some conditions on that covenant. Like, for instance, the very first covenant that we see in the Bible where God made a covenant with man was in the Garden of Eden, where he gave man dominion over the whole earth and gave man all that he had, but there was a condition that was placed on that relationship that, if you recall, in Genesis it says that there's one tree in the whole of the garden that you're not to eat of. And if you eat of that tree, God says, then you shall surely die. And so the, the condition that was placed on that first covenant is the condition that you can't eat of that tree. So there's only one condition, which is you think to yourself, well, that's pretty good, you know. I wouldn't mind entering into a relationship where there's only one condition. But what if you go and mess up and break that one condition? which is exactly what Adam and Eve did. There are actually eight main covenants in the Bible. A lot of people don't know this, um, but if you do some research, I've done some research, I've studied into some of the, um, the, the Messianic scholars to find out what these um, covenants are. There's, there's many covenants in the Bible, but there's eight main ones. So a covenant... For instance, minor covenants might be, for instance, like what they call the threshold covenant, which is a covenant whereby if you enter a person's home, there is a covenant that as you enter that home, as you step over the threshold, you enter into covenant with that person, and they are covenanted to you to look after you while you're in their house. Okay, so that is a covenant between man and man. And that, is, well, that was a part of the Hebrew culture, you know, in fact, there's, you know, you could unpack a whole bunch of stuff around that, which I'm not going to do tonight because it'll just take too long. But I want to highlight the eight covenants and highlight the two that are conditional. Because out of the eight, there are two that are conditional and there are six that are unconditional covenants that are represented in the Bible. And as we understand these and understand what Christ has done in leading us into covenant relationship with God, then it'll help us to understand what we're a no longer under or what we are not covenanted to and what we are covenanted to. And if we understand our relationship with God through covenant, it'll enable us to be able to function better. In fact, it'll be almost like putting a set of glasses on that goes from seeing black and white to seeing full colour. It's, it's almost as dramatic as that. So, what are the eight covenants? Um, the Edenic Covenant, which is the first one I mentioned, which is the one in the Garden of Eden. Uh, Genesis 2, verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, nor in, in the day that you eat it you shall surely die. The second covenant is in uh, Genesis three fourteen to 19, which is the Adam Covenant, or the Adamic Covenant, which is also... Sorry, it is an unconditional covenant. So the first covenant was a conditional covenant, one, co one, one condition. The second covenant with Adam is an unconditional covenant. And you can find it in Genesis chapter 3, uh, verses 14 to 19. Now, should I go and read them all? Maybe. I might just read this one. There's a few others that we're going to go through. So I won't go through them all because I really want to highlight the final covenant or the new covenant which I think is the one that we probably will be impacted by the most it's okay Shaky, just leave it there it's fine okay so it says here so the Lord God said to the serpent because you have done this you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field on the belly you shall go and you shall eat dust and all the days of your life and I will Put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. To, in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles 
it shall bring forth, and you shall eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you turn till your till sorry till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, and from dust you are, and to dust you shall return. You might think to yourself, well, that's not a very good covenant, <laughs> but it's a covenant because God covenanted with man a way forward. This is a result. And even though there's no conditions on this, this is, it's just what it's going to be from now on. This is the way it's going to be. And what we find then is God then, as, as we see the, the pattern of mankind relating to God, deteriorated. Um, it went up and down for a while, and then it got really bad. And then, of course, we see the situation where God in, initiated a great flood, and then Noah came along. He, sorry, Noah and the flood. Obviously, the story goes that Noah came out of the flood with his family intact. After they came out of the ark, of the there was a new covenant that was created, which was called the Noah covenant, which was symbolized by a rainbow, if you recall the story. And God said, I shall, you shall, sorry, I shall never do what I have, I've never destroyed the earth like this again. So again, there was a covenant, so it was a, a, an agreement that was made. So there was an initial agreement in the Garden of Eden, man broke that, God made a new agreement. It wasn't so flash, but it was what it was. Then there was the agreement with Noah, then there was the agreement that came along with Abraham, which is also an unconditional covenant. And there's a whole bunch of verses there. I'm not going to read them, um, but you'll find them in Genesis 12, 13, 15, 17, and 22. Abraham, of course, was um, brought into a covenant where he was set apart. His name was changed. You shall be the father of many nations out of you... Or, blessings you see and so but again it was an unconditional covenant it wasn't if you do this you'll get this it wasn't like that it was it was a covenant that God made God initiated and he called Abraham out and said you you shall be my people now of course um, at the time Abraham wasn't particularly um, ready for that although he was a man who was willing to follow God but he didn't have kids, and uh, eventually he did, and then, you know, and we know the story of how that all unfolded, and God did amazing things in that journey. The next covenant was the covenant with Moses, which was another conditional covenant. So you've got the first conditional one, now the second conditional covenant, and you'll find that unpacked in Exodus 19 through Exodus 24. So it's quite a, a substantial um, portion of the book of Exodus which unpacks the covenant with Moses. And if you recall, that covenant was um, not long after they'd come out of Egypt. And they came out of Egypt and they were basically about to be established as a nation. You see, because the original covenant was that with Abraham was that, that God would make them a nation a people, a holy people, set apart unto himself. And now they come out of Egypt and they're about to be established as a nation and God's putting in a set of rules by which they can engage with God. Now, how many people know that God is a holy God? Right? So when Adam and Eve in the garden had their initial relationship with God, they were in a holy place and they were holy because they hadn't committed any sin, they hadn't done anything wrong and their relationship with God was a mutual relationship because they were created in God's own image. But as they stepped out and broke covenant, when they broke the conditions of the covenant, they became unclean, right? Through their, through their wrongdoing, they became unclean and so they were no longer able to step into the presence of God. And so their relationship with God altered. Now, fast forward to Moses, and Moses is now in the place where he's up on the mountain, and the people of God have been called back to the presence of God, but they reject 
that invitation, if you recall. said, no, you go up and be our mediator, and whatever you say we'll do, well, he goes up the mountain, he's there for 40 days, and they think he's dead. They get so like, ah, and they start worshipping calves and this and that, and you know, put their gold in, oh, look what happened, you know, it just turned into a golden calf, yay, you know. And obviously, the, if that actually really did happen that way, there would have been some kind of spirit involved in that one. Either way, it wasn't God, right? So Moses comes down. What does he come down with? Stone tablets, yeah? So the law, or at least the Ten Commandments, was the portion of the law, was written on stone. I think that's a significant and interesting point. So Moses establishes a covenant with God based on a bunch of rules. Now, if you go track them through, there's like 613-odd rules. Might be more. You unpack them, there's a lot of rules, right? There's not just the Ten Commandments, there's all the rest. And that's all a part of the Mosaic Covenant. The people of God, in order to be cleansed so that they could approach God, had to line up all their ducks in a row. It was a covenant of works. If they could get all their ducks lined up in the row, they could approach God. If they couldn't do that, what did they have to do? They had to make sacrifice. In other words, they had to pay for, out of their own livelihood, whether it be a dove you know, and, and, or, or a sheep or you know, an unblemished lamb or a, a cow or whatever it might be, depending on the severity of how they had broken covenant. They have broken covenant, there must be bloodshedding in order to atone for their sin so that they could then enter into the presence of God clean. They were unclean. The only way to be clean was through covenant. That covenant had a bunch of stipulations on it, and so that's how, and it was that way from then on, right? So that was a, um, a relationship which was with the Hebrew people or the nation of Israel. So the first three covenants were not with the people of Israel. They were just with mankind. These covenants are with the nation of Israel only. So, for instance, they had to get circumcised. They had to honor the Sabbath. They had to, you know, and so the list goes on. There's a, a vast list of things that they had to do as the nation to be set apart as a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. That's what they're called to do. So then there's the, the land covenant, which is what took place as they entered into the land, the promised land. And even today, the land covenant, if you do some research, um, majority of that land is Palestine. Um, but it's an unconditional covenant. And so that land still belongs to Israel. And it, regardless of who's occupying it right now, there's nothing that anybody can do. God said it's your land. And the scripture says that it will be given back to them at some stage in the future. So we've seen a gradual reintroduction of the people of Israel to that land because God honors covenant. He won't break it. Now, of course, the nation of Israel had broken covenant with God on so many occasions. And every time they did, the hand of God was lifted. And so God hadn't broken covenant. All he did was lifted his hand off the nation and then they were taken away from their land, which was their inheritance through covenant. But it's still there. It's unconditional. Right? Um, it's always going to be theirs. It's always going to be there. Then, of course, there is the covenant God made with King David. In Samuel 2, or 2 Samuel 7, it says, God made a promise that he would rise, raise up David's offspring and establish the throne of his kingdom forever. It was a covenant. See, we think some, we, there are promises and there are covenants. Covenants is I'm making a promise to you in relationship that I will do this. And this, this is a covenant relationship. So I'm drawing you into a place where you can, you can believe me for this. God is going to do it. And it's unconditional. There's, there's no conditions on this promise of God to his people. So then, of course, was the outworking of that promise, and that is 
the new covenant. And I want to read to you, first of all, I want to read to you from Jeremiah 31, because it was prophesied. Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. Um, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them out by hand to bring them up out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel in those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I shall forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. What an amazing promise. And it's a promise of a coming new covenant. It's a new agreement. See, the old agreement with the nation, and we've got to understand this. This is a promise to the nation of Israel. It wasn't a promise to us yet. See, later on, we, we were allowed to be dovetailed in or to be grafted into that promise but we were not a part of this this was only to the nation of israel so initially the 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 covenant was with the nation of israel and all the laws was unto the nation of israel and how they ought to approach god and then there was the nation of israel that was promised in jeremiah that a new covenant would come that was different And notice that he says here that I will write the law on their heart. Isn't it interesting that in Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 26, it's talking about seeking the Lord with all your heart. He says, I will remove from you your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. What did he originally write the law on? Stone. What is he now in the new covenant going to write the law on? Flesh, upon the heart. And so there's a transition from writing the law on stone, which is black and white thinking, which is you've got to have all your ducks lined up in a row in order to come into the presence of God as a clean vessel. It's all about what you do. It's the covenant of works. And now the, the stone is going to be removed and a heart of flesh is, in other words, the, the law is going to be written on our hearts. In other words, the, the covenant is going to be written on our hearts. So that as we stand before God, he looks at our heart and sees his covenant relationship intact. Isn't that beautiful? Now, take for instance um, the story of I think it was Elijah. Was it Elijah or Elijah? One of the two. Uh, I, I, sometimes I get these two guys mixed up, right? But there's a story of how where he comes in, he's in a deep, intense vision where he's in the th- presence of God. And you remember the story where he suddenly realizes, oh my goodness, I'm in the presence of God. I am, and his words, I think, in one translation, a woe to me that I am a man of unclean lips. Remember that? You know what happened next? An angel came with a burning hot coal from the throne of heaven and came and touched him where? On the lips. So he's just acknowledged he's a man of unclean lips. In other words, he's acknowledged he's not ceremoniously clean in order to come into the presence of God. His ducks are not all lined up in a row. He's either going to get zapped or he's got to get out quickly and go and make a sacrifice, yeah? Because he suddenly realizes he's in the presence of Almighty God. Woe am I, a man of unclean lips. And an angel comes and presses a hot, burning hot coal against his lips. What happens to him right in that moment? He's suddenly clean. He is clean. He hasn't got his ducks lined up in a row. He hasn't done anything to deserve it. He's unclean in the presence of God, and God cleans him from a touch, from a rock. Who's the rock? Christ is the rock. 
Jesus is the burning hot coal, the rock that was delivered from heaven to earth. He creates a cleansing in our heart. See, as we notice how we come to God as a man or a woman who recognizes that we have unclean lips. In other words, we recognize that we are not pure and not holy. The only way we can come to God is through repentance in the first place, isn't it? We come to him with a recognition that we don't have our ducks lined up in a row. We're unholy. We're unclean. We've broken covenant with God. And so as we recognize that we have broken covenant with God, we ask forgiveness of sins. And what happens then is we get touched right at the place that we have confessed our sin. We've presented our whole self bare to him, and he's touched us with his rock, burning hot rock, which goes, and suddenly we're made whole and we're clean. What's actually taken place in that moment is that we enter into a covenant relationship with God through the rock, through Jesus Christ. And he says, now I can relate to you like Adam and Eve did in that garden. Because that's, that sin, that first sin, Adam's sin. See, because suddenly, now notice there's two things that have taken place. The covenant that was made with Adam is now fulfilled. How do we know that? Because Jesus is the second Adam. Right? So just like, so the condition, sorry, if you go back to the Garden of Eden, there's one condition in the garden, right? Jesus came as the second Adam, and he didn't break covenant. So there's something that takes place in that fact that Jesus fulfills the Edenic covenant right but then he also fulfills the mosaic covenant because it says that he never sinned in other words he never broke covenant is the only one who ever has lived a life without breaking covenant so as he's coming to the place where he's sacrificing his life he's become the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, he utters these words that it is finished. What's he saying? Earlier on, he said, I fulfill the law. Right? I have fulfilled the law. He says, I, I haven't taken it away. I've fulfilled it. In other words, I've fulfilled the conditions of the covenant. I've fulfilled the conditions of the Edenic covenant. So that means the curse that's on Adam is broken. I fulfilled the conditions on the Mosaic covenant, all the law. I've not broken one. I've honored the covenant. I fulfilled it, the conditions of the covenant. So now I can establish a new covenant, which is no longer based on law, but it's an unconditional covenant, which is based on love the love of the Father for the world, which I think is possibly the most profound thing that anyone could ever hear. And once we get that, it's like putting glasses on. We go from black and white thinking to full color. Wow. Do you guys get to see this every day? Yeah. This is life. This is what it's meant to be. Do you know how many people in the world, in the church today, they look at you and I through lenses that are black and white? You know, there are three types of people in the church in relation to covenant. There are those who are completely resolved to fulfill and honor the Mosaic covenant. And they haven't got a revelation that that's not what we're meant to do. They don't understand the new covenant at all. And there are some who are just stuck. And they'll try living out covenant-based lives based on law. And they will always be unfulfilled and they'll always be looking at you and I through different glasses. Then, of course, there are those who have come into a revelation of new covenant realities. Recognize, as the Apostle Paul 
taught us, as Jesus showed us, as John teaches us, that we're no longer under the law, that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yeah? Why? Because the law has been fulfilled in Christ. As we step into Christ, we step into the fulfillment of the law. And so what do we do? We step into his rest. Isn't that interesting? Jesus said, I love these words. They're so precious to me. A lot of people just slip by them when they read them in the word. But Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He goes on, he says, my burden is light. And he says, take my yoke upon you. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. What's he saying? He's identified. See, because he's talking to the, he's not talking to the church yet. He's talking to Israel. Yeah? He's talking to Israel, the house of Israel. What's he saying? Guys, you've been under this covenant of law where you've got to get all your ducks lined up in a row for so long, it's become a burden. It's made, it's, it's heavy. This is a heavy yoke to bear. You, no one can bear it. No one can do it. You can't do it. And so your whole life is coming back for sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice because it was never intended to be fulfilled by anybody other than a person who is not under the curse of Adam. Jesus Christ is the only one who could have fulfilled it. He said, you're under a burden, a heavy yoke. You see, a yoke. The Bible says that the anointing breaks the yoke. Christ is the anointed one who comes to break the yoke, the yoke of heaviness. And he says, put my yoke upon you. What's he saying? He's saying, well, come out from under one yoke, come under another yoke. What's he saying? He's saying, come out from under the old covenant, which is law, come in under a new covenant relationship, which is grace, love. It's easy, he says. What are you doing? You're entering into his rest. Isn't that interesting? What happened on the seventh day? God rested. God rested. He entered his rest. You know that we are called to enter into the rest, the Sabbath of God. And yet, interestingly enough, when Jesus was approached about the law and said, what is the greatest commandment of all? He said, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. He says, as you do this, you'll fulfill the whole of the law. Isn't it interesting that there's, you take the Ten Commandments Nine of the commandments are covered in that statement, except one, the Sabbath. Don't you think that's interesting? It doesn't say anywhere in Jesus' statement, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, love your neighbor as yourself, and don't do anything on the Sabbath. So all the other nine, which are all relating to loving God, loving your neighbor, and then there's the Sabbath. What have we missed? Well, Christ is the Sabbath. Christ is the rest. You enter into Christ. You enter into his rest because he is not striving. He is in his Father who is at rest. We become one with Christ, so we become one with the Father. We enter into the rest, so we've actually entered the Sabbath. So as the Sabbath was one of the Ten Commandments, and there are still people today who believe that you can't have Sunday church on Sunday. You've got to have it on the Sabbath between, you know, sundown and sundown on the Friday and Saturday, yeah? And there are people even in the Christian church today who are saying, no, God's told me we've got to do it this way. And, and you've got the Messianic believers. Who, and see, that's the other. See, you've got over here, you've got the ones who are full, hardcore uh, Mosesites. <laughs> then you've got the New Covenantites. And then right in the middle, and this is the most prominent believer in the church today, is the one who mix a bit of grace, a bit of law. 
right? And what ends up happening is that we have people then who operate their gifts, the gift of prophecy, for instance, the gift of preaching, teaching, out of a filter, which is a mixture of... So if you've got a gift of teaching, but your filter by which you read Scripture is a mixture of law and grace, you're not going to be teaching what Jesus wants you to teach. You're going to be teaching as you understand it, but not as he is instructing you to teach through the word because you're not teaching out of a new covenant position. If we don't teach out of a new covenant position, we're teaching a false doctrine. We might be teaching some truths then, and then we'll be teaching some inerrant lies which aren't true anymore or never really were true. And that's where we get ourselves into trouble. For instance, take for instance Israel Folau. Right? made a big grand statement out on public media. And you see half the Christian world going, yay, go Israel. And the other half the Christian world going, oh my goodness, what are you doing, son? You know? And a lot of us were kind of like stuck in the middle going, yeah, there's a lot of truth to what he's saying, but you know, what on earth is he doing? You know? Because I don't read anywhere in Jesus or in any of the apostles where they got up and ridiculed the world who's in sin for being in sin. What they did do, however, was they called the church out. Because when they wrote to the church in Romans, in Rome, they were writing to the church in Rome. They weren't writing to the local brothel. <laughs> they weren't writing to the the. Roman garrison who were having an orgy on Friday night, they were writing to the church. When Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he was writing to the Corinthian church. And in the Corinthian church, there were people who were living very promiscuous lives as born-again Christ followers, and he's just setting them straight. Hey, guys, there shouldn't be any of this kind of stuff among you. This is where you came from. But this is not who you are anymore. Why is this still there? And so we have all this teaching, even what Israel Folau put out there, where he misquoted the Bible and said, you know, hell awaits people who do this, 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 and this. It would have been, it would have been just so much easier if he just said, hell awaits those who are unrepentant. Covers a whole bunch of stuff. And you'd get the message and... If the Holy Spirit wanted to use that to, oh, you know. But what he's, he's done is he's labeled, but the thing is the, the world is only going to tap into one thing that he said, not all the rest of the things. I mean, I hear it all the time on the buses, the guys, you know, commenting. Like last night, I took, um, I took a bunch of guys to watch the Waratahs football game because I'm a bus driver. and So I'm doing the, the, the football run. And so inevitably, you've got a few guys near me who are talking about, Israel Folau, because he used to play for the Waratahs. And now he's you know, over in France and they've just stopped him from playing over the weekend because there's so much furor amongst the gay community in Europe that they don't want him to play. So you get all of that and you come back to, well, what, what are we called to be? We're called to do. What are, what, how are we to shine our light? Are we meant to go down to the gay Mardi Gras and wave banners and saying, you're all going to hell? Are we meant to love on these people and bring them into relationship and allow the Holy Spirit to bring them into truth and bring them into wholeness and bring them into a place where they can be restored and hopefully find that if there's a spirit involved in their condition or if there's a you know, wrong understanding or there's some hurt from someone who abused them when they were a child, that they can get free of that and come into a place where they can come into wholeness. Isn't that the truth? And unfortunately, a large portion of the church that is presenting truth are called heretics today. For instance, have you heard of a guy named um, Todd White? Anyone heard of a guy named Todd White? Well, within the last 12 hours, I don't know exact timing of it, but within the last 12 hours, he 
with a friend of ours. Um, I can't think of his name now. Just mind blank. But Todd White was preaching in a stadium full of people in Brazil just today. And he led the president of Brazil to the Lord, publicly confessed in front of a stadium full of thousands of people. There's a video on YouTube of this man standing up and professing Christ before his nation. The president of Brazil has given his life to the Lord at a meeting where Todd White, who is apparently a heretic, is preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who calls him a heretic? Only the people who have got the wrong glasses on. They've got a lens which doesn't allow them to see correctly because they're looking through the wrong lens. Now, do I, do I back Israel Folau? Of course I do. He's my brother. I love him. Would I have done what he did? Absolutely not. I'll stand with him because I love him, but I think he's looking for a wrong lens. And I think there's a lot of people in the church that are like that. What we need to do, if we're to come into a place where we operate as the church and to operate as the kingdom church that God's called us to, and particularly as we enter into what I believe are the last days, or at least a shift in the end of an era into something new, something different, because we don't know what the, the next stage in our journey with God looks like on the earth. We know that at some stage Christ will return and he'll return for his bride, and we as his bride ought to be ready for that return at any time. However, I believe that God has this beauty before us in terms of relationship, a covenant that each one of us can operate out of, and if we get it, if we understand this relationship, which is unconditional, it's Unconditional love, it's agape. It's the love that has no conditions. You think, well, of course it's got conditions. No, it doesn't. God loves us unconditionally. Our relationship to him still has conditions. He's still a holy God that requires a holy people, but it's the the burning hot coal that came down and touched us when we're at our most vulnerable moment, when we confessed our sins to God, that makes us holy, that makes us presentable, that makes us, turns us from darkness to light, that, that cleanses us from every broken covenant and brings us into right relationship with Father God. As I wrap up, I just want to highlight this, and I think it's something that we probably just need to understand. And any of us who've got children will get this. Or if you've been around parents of children, you'll understand. You were one once. <laughs> Let's say, for instance, I have a moment with my kids where it's just such a beautiful moment that I go, in my mind, in my heart, I'm going, I, I hope this never stops. Like I'm just, you know, that, those moments that you cherish where you go, oh, that was just such a, such a beautiful connection point with my child you know where the love is just so beautiful and the bond is so strong but invariably in human relationships even with their own kids those relationships those connection points are few and far between I have five children and they all live in Sydney right now I don't live close to them that is something that I wish wasn't the case but it is so I'm over here and they're over there. My love for them has not diminished. My relationship with them has not diminished except the proximity stops us from interacting on a regular basis. And I believe that as we come into an understanding of what new covenant relationship with God is all about, it's more about proximity than it is about anything else. When we are in a place where we're living an unclean life, we find ourselves feeling as though we can't enter in because we feel unclean, we feel unworthy. 
God is still a holy God. And we have this concept which says, I can't approach God because I'm unclean. But you know the beauty about God is? When he looks at his children, he's not looking at us through a lens of the law. He's looking at us through a lens of Christ. And so not only do we need to look at him through a lens of Christ, we look at, he looks at us through the lens of Christ as well. And the only thing that stops us from relating to him as we ought to, as we can, is our proximity to him. That's it. What is it that's stopping us? Maybe it is sin. Sin still exists. It existed before the law. Anything that draws us outside of, you know, if you've got sexual immorality in your life, that's going to stop you from being able to relate to God. If you've got the, the, the demons of hell binding your life up, binding your heart up, binding your mind up, stopping you from even acknowledging God in your life and you're just over you're doing your own thing, the invitation to engage is always there. And the devil will be speaking into our lives saying, oh, you're not good enough, you're never going to make the grade. You know? You know? And, and, and it's almost like he's yelling the law at us. Saying, oh, look at this, you're just not lined up right. You know what it takes? You know what it takes to re-engage? Is saying no to that. Just saying yes to him. That's it. It's coming back. And uh, 1 John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That, I believe is something that is true for always. And our relationship with God, our encounter, our walk with the Lord, this beautiful engagement process, if we're off living our own life, doing our own thing and not engaging with God, then of course we're going to feel away from him. But I encourage everybody to find their place with God on a daily basis. Now, if you miss out on spending some time alone with God, do you beat yourself up over it? No. Why? Because Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Neither height nor depth nor principalities nor power nor, nor rulers of this dark age can separate us from the love of God. He has written his law on our heart. He's written his love on our heart. Yes, we might be actively living out a life that is against his heart and his will for us, but it only takes a moment to turn. It only takes a moment to re-engage. And I want to encourage you tonight, and no matter where you're at, no matter where you've been, your relationship with God is not based on a mosaic law. See, we have been brought in to this relationship, this covenant relationship, even though I don't know if anybody here is actually of Jewish descent. So for us, um, we have been grafted in, but it's as if we were born into it. And that's the beauty. Now I want to w read one last scripture to you because uh, this is, a lot of people in the church don't like this scripture because it kind of rocks their world a little bit. Galatians chapter 3. And here we have um, Paul writing to the church in Galatia who had started off really well. They understood New Covenant at the start. They got it. But then some well-meaning Jews came into their midst and tried to teach them that they had to engage in the law. And... Uh, Paul had to address it, and he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of truth? Are you so foolish Having begun, hang on, get that out. 
Are you so foolish? Let's see if I can find where I was now. This is where I need glasses, isn't it? <laughs> oh, there we go. Verse 3. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain? And indeed, it was in vain. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it? by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Just as Abraham believed God and it was, a, was accounted to him as righteousness, therefore know that the only one, sorry, only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. So here he's identifying a group of people who received the new covenant truth that they have received the spirit of God by faith, not by works of the law. And yet now suddenly they're stirring up the law again. And we have to be so careful that we, that we don't go from being over in the camp where we understand who we are in Christ and walk in freedom then have someone apply the law against their life and say, oh, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do that. The moment we start doing that again, we get ourselves in the middle ground where we're not meant to be. We need to find the place where we understand that we are holy because he has made us holy. Does that mean, as the Apostle Paul said, that we go ahead and sin all the more so that grace might abound even more? Paul says, of course not. How foolish. See, if we understand the scripture, if we unpack it, and understand that we are so free in him, yet he is a holy God. And we need to honor that holiness by living holy lives. And we can't do that in our own strength. We only do that by the grace that he has given us. And the beauty is that he gives us his spirit who lives in us and empowers us and empowers our walk with him. So, are we of those who do not understand or do not know the grace that God has given us, well, then we need to come into greater levels of truth. Jesus said, I will send you my spirit who will lead you into all truth. That means that there is truth that we have not yet been led into. There's revelation we have not yet encountered as we get to understand more and more of what God wants us to understand. I believe that as we step into this new covenant as we embrace the truth that we are engaged with God in an unconditional covenant and that he has brought us into a new family, he's grafted us into the promises of God that were given to Abraham out of that beautiful life. See, that the promise to Abraham was unconditional. The promise to, to us through Jesus Christ is unconditional. All we have to do is come through the open door. And who's the open door? Jesus Christ. Amen? All right. Look, I, I don't like when i am got a whole bunch of stuff I could further unpack on a subject to stop, but I really feel that that's, that's enough. Um, so let me pray, and uh, let's just see what the Lord does with that in our hearts. So, Father, I bless the word tonight. I bless our hearts, each one of us, that we might engage with you at a place and a level that is so full of freedom and so full of hope and so full of life that all the condemnation that we felt in the past and all the shame and all the hurt and all the pain would just fall away. That we'd come into a revelation of who you are and what you've done, what the finished work of the cross really means. And Lord, that we would be just like the... Uh, the person in that, that video clip earlier where as we put on a new set of glasses that we would see what we've always been destined to see. That we would have a filter that a place in so that when we prophesy and when we preach and when we read your word, 
when we see you, when we see the world, when we see the church, when we even see ourselves, that we would see through the lens of new covenant and not the law. Help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, bless you guys. Um, thanks for being a part of this evening. Um, if anyone would like some prayer, um, I'd I'm going to hang around at the front um, and, and pray with you if you'd like that. Otherwise, we've got a meal to share out in the side room. Um, just remember that next week we have presents um, here. And one of the things we're going to do at our next presence meeting, which we didn't do at the last one, was that we're going to engage our prophetic ministry team. And so I've got a few guys that we've been training up that have uh, just been pressing in over the last few years, particularly into um, the gift of prophecy, hearing God, um, words of knowledge and so on. And so what we want to do is we want to encourage people to, um, just during the worship, um, just to wait on the Lord. And then we're just going to, See if the team comes forward at some stage during the evening and just releases whatever the Lord might be wanting to say over some folk. And that's something that we really want to do as a part of our journey in God is just love on people. So, um, 5.30 next Sunday. And uh, just encourage people to come along. It would be really good. All right, bless you guys. Thanks for listening. This has been another Kingdom Community Church podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to www.kingdomcc.com.au.